0: the Urban Planners Podcast, hosted by Gigi the Planner. This podcast is about all things urban planning related and otherwise. In this setting, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the planning field. We'll even delve into some very controversial topics involving the role planners have to take in their everyday lives and jobs. Without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. This This is Gigi the Planner.
1: Welcome everyone to episode 7 of the Urban Planners Podcast. So today I'm going to be interviewing Jonathan Lieber um, at Jungle Underscore Capital, and we will be discussing everything environmental planning and so much more. So tune in and I hope you all enjoy. Well, welcome Jonathan, or should I call you John? Which one would you prefer?
2: John's fine, thank you.
1: John, okay, no problem. Welcome, John, to my urban, the Urban Planners podcast. You are my very first guest. So I'm very excited to have you here uh, with us today. So first off, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're from.
2: Sure. So, uh, yeah, as you said, my name is John Lieber. Um, I'm from Toronto, Canada. Uh, I'm currently working with the City of Toronto as an urban forestry planner but I also consult, uh, doing consulting related to environmental planning, watershed planning, and green infrastructure.
1: Awesome. So um, tell me something about your educational background. I understand that you only have an associate's degree. Um, How has that posed an issue for you getting into the the planning field?
2: Yeah, so this has been um, a really long journey for me. I, I went to, originally, I just went, uh, got a college certificate at first, kind of did the bare minimum. And uh, I worked for a few years with just that. I was only really able to get um, more blue collar related work. So I took uh, urban forestry. So I was just um, working on working on crews. I always did um, want to enter the urban planning field, but I wasn't really sure um, how to do it. Um, in high school, I just took applied classes. So I don't know, it might be different in the States, but we have academic stream or um, applied. So because I did that early on, um, I wasn't qualified to go for, to university um, from the get-go. So I just took the college path. Um, so then after a few years of working, I decided to go back and get my diploma, which is the equivalent to a associate's degree in, in the States. Um, and that, that did help elevate my career a little bit. Um, it, it gave me the ability to kind of muscle my way up the ladder a little bit. I hopped around municipalities climbing the ladder. Uh, but once I finally got into a planner role, uh, just a general planner role, I really started feeling um, the impacts of not having a bachelor's degree. So I would apply two positions within uh, my municipality or other municipalities. And a lot of them would not have um, approved equivalent clauses, which means um, sometimes they'll say have a bachelor's degree or an approved cl- equivalent of work experience. And a lot of them didn't have that approved equivalent clause. So there were times where I would actually get the job offered, and then it would get revoked after HR reviewed that I didn't. They didn't understand that it was a associate's degree versus a bachelor's degree. So that that was really frustrating to me because it kind of um, made me realize that um, opportunity is um, oftentimes credential-based rather than merit-based. So um, that kind of frustration started leading me into the consulting field because I figured that I would let the market speak and uh, try to to, um, see how far I could get um, in the private market with with um, just based on merit. And then I quickly found that um, a lot of uh, even working um, with architects and developers, if you're submitting uh, applications, they would want a certified planner to uh, to be submitting the documents or to work be working on their projects. So then here in Canada, I tried to get my certified uh, planners designation, which is kind of the equivalent to the APA or AICP and uh, they require a bachelor's degree to get that. So, um, and there's no other avenue. Luckily, um, AICP is available for people without a bachelor, just based on on work experience. So I've been working that, and I think that's really important for a lot of people because I'm sure there's a lot, many planners out there who, you know, they got into their position maybe a long time ago, and they've been a planner for 30 years. Um, to not be able to designate them as a planner is a real tragedy, in my opinion. So. Anyways, um, so I started getting real frustrated with all of this um, limitations, just purely based not on my merit but on my credentials. Um, so I started exploring higher education. I didn't think that I would be able to do a four years bachelor's degree at this point in my you know after having some eight years of experience of being a planner. It just didn't seem to to meet the threshold. Um, so I started applying to universities to a master's, trying to see if I could skip. Um, that that bachelor's degree requirement and go directly to a master's degree. Uh most universities I applied I think to some 200 and I think like 199 said no right off the bat. Okay. But luckily a huge achievement um I did get accepted into a, a program, a master's program, so I'm heading this September to get that which will help me a lot, but it also that that process opened my eyes a lot and you know I think that it, I, I would like to see our system, and I think as we planners mature, that we should all be trying to push a merit-based system over a credential-based system, because I often think like in India, they have a caste system based on skin color, but here we have this proxy caste system that is the education system that favors people you know, of wealth and of certain kind of backgrounds. So I'd really like to that we all push for a more merit-based system uh, going forward.
1: Awesome. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, I didn't know that it was possible to get a master's without a bachelor's degree. And I understand, you know, that all those colleges that you apply for didn't accept you, but it's great that one did and that you're moving forward into that. So being that you're living in Canada, I know it's different than here in, in the United States, but how is it are most jobs planning related jobs specifically do they require you to have a bachelor's degree um here in america for the most part planners which would need a master's degree i would say um and that's because most of the universities here offer a master's degree in planning very few schools offer a bachelor's degree so off the bat most planners typically have a master's degree. Is it different, or how is that maybe the same um, in Canada?
2: It's very similar. I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm half American. I've been applying a lot down in, in the States, and I found it's very, very similar process. The minimum, though, standard, I think that if you at least have a bachelor's, you're, in, you're at least in the, in the game. So you might be competing with people with master's degrees, and certainly they have an advantage. But you are—they're able to look at you uh, with a more comprehensively. So they'll look at you know what is your experience along with that master's degree, not just solely on that degree. So it most require a bachelor's degree. I, I and, then, and then usually in the in the job posting it'll say uh, master's preferred is an example. But at least just having a bachelor's degree is puts you in the same in in the game at least. But yeah, ma- bachelor's degree it's required. Masters preferred is common.
1: Common slate in Canada. Okay, cool. So that's understandable. And um, a lot of the people that I that I coach, um, you know, I tell them that you know you should go and get your master's degree. <laughs> At the end of the day, a bachelor's degree is probably not enough to really cut it because you're going to be competing with a lot of people that have a master's degree. So um, I UG highly suggest people to get their masters instead of just settling for a bachelor's and then sometimes they say well i got my bachelor's in planning should i get a master's in planning and you know i tell them not you know not necessarily it could be something different but you still could get a job in um, planning so tell me about the school that you're going to and i know something different so i'm not very familiar how all that's working um you trying you're going to be getting three master's degrees i believe um, yeah. how is that working for you
2: yeah, it's a real it's a real honor. Uh, it's an Erasmus. Aram, I don't know how to even pronounce it. Uh, so it's a joint program. Uh, it's a joint between. Uh, so I'll be starting in Scotland for one semester, then going to Finland, University of uh, Glasgow, uh, University of Helsinki, and then uh, Barcelona. So it's a joint program. Each one of them uh, offer a master's degree as part of the the study. Um, And then, so my master's will be in uh, urban climate and sustainability, uh, and it's a two-year program.
1: Okay, cool. So you're going to be getting all three degrees in two years? Yes. Oh, wow. That is very impressive. So good luck to you on that. So being that we're going through this COVID-19 crisis, how is that? Has it impacted anything with school moving forward, Um, or do you not know as of yet?
2: I don't know yet. Uh, definitely hoping that uh, that by September everything will be okay, but uh, definitely prepared for that to uh, take some potentially impact it. But for me, I'm just happy that you know I have a job now and I have my acceptance letter. So the two things that I'm happy about. So even if it's not this, you know, exactly on the same time amount, I'm sure I'll get there. Um, but we're all coping with all this, uh, all these changes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, cool, cool.
1: So how do you get interested in planning in general and um, environmental planning specifically?
2: Uh, well, uh, just like growing up, uh, my family owned a sawmill and they were farmers too, so I always was into it. But um, just the way that family farming is moving to industrial scale, there's not a lot of money out there and career potential for young people. So I started, and I was, and I wanted to move into the city too. So I took uh, forestry, and then eventually ecosystem management, which was really environmental planning because it was very um, heavy on legislation and envir- and planning processes. And I think two things happened. First thing is uh, when you become literate in any subject, you know, even if you're an architect and you start walking around, and you notice all the buildings, um, you start to really enjoy it. So. When i started becoming literate in nature i started walking down i first learned my first tree species you know and then every one of those tree species popped out on the street then eventually it snowballed before i knew every every tree bird um you know shrub herb all that their characteristics how they interact with each other so i started to really fall in love with it but then on the back end of that is so much of uh the source of so much heartache in the world can be traced back to the mismanagement of natural resources. Um, you know, whether that's crop failure, disease, outbreak, um, painted water, any of those, um, real serious issues, uh, can be traced back to how natural resources are managed, uh, managed. So when I start pairing what I love to do with, with why it's important, I started to really wake up and, and take this seriously. And then, See, kind of a consequence to, for me not being my best self, and and really putting my all to contributing to uh, to the, the field of the environmental planning.
1: Cool, cool. So, um, would you consider yourself a tree hugger or no?
2: Yeah, yeah. Why not?
1: <laughs> I know sometimes it has a negative connotation, but uh, you know, some people still ascribe to that. To that.
2: Term. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, fluid. Anything. <laughs>
1: Cool. So um, I know you have a robust following on Facebook and Instagram, so please tell me about your platform and what caused you to promote environmental planning um, on the stage that you're doing right now.
2: Yeah, um, well, I just try to put my message out there wherever, um, so on all platforms, and uh, a lot of that stems from when you think of, like, how can a city be sustainable? It really, comes down to culture, you know, whether it's not, it's never environmental issues or, and the same with planning issues, right? Affordable housing, any of that stuff is uh, usually not economic challenges, it's cultural challenges. So the way I see it is when you trace it back, there's elected officials, there's celebrities, there's everyone involved that sets culture, but it really comes down to residents and people. So I try to stay as close to my local community and to to the greater community as possible. And I do that, you know, I'm naturally kind of an introvert, so social media is awesome for me. So uh, I do a lot of that in order to try to influence people as much as possible and always keep it at the forefront of their mind, uh, the, the sustainability lens, so that maybe when they're doing their job, even if it's in construction, planning, architecture, utilities, urban forestry, whatever it is, avenue that they're altering the urban sphere, that maybe they'll um, have the sustainability lens in their their mind a little bit more uh, because of some of the things that I've been putting out there.
1: Cool, cool. That's really good. Um, so how did you come up with the name Jungle Capital? Is there something uh, significant about that name?
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I might change it, but I just think of like, uh, there's like the urban jungle, Mm-hmm. and i just think about how like the forest the jungle it has so much services that we get from it so i think of that as capital mm-hmm. um so i kind of put the two together and i just thought it sounded kind of cool too
1: awesome yeah that's something something very different and i didn't really understand it <laughs> but i was seeing the name of trying to correlate everything i'm like i don't really know <laughs> what it all means uh but thanks for clarifying that for me yeah. Okay, so what are your long term professional goals? like what do you what do you see yourself in like five to ten years?
2: I really think that the way I can have the greatest impact is in the consulting field. and I you know I, I think it takes a long it's a long road to get to where you can actually stand on your your own two feet in that manner. But my first goal will be to complete my master's degree program, which will be a huge challenge for me because um, I haven't been in school for so long all and, you know, I haven't left the country. It'll be a big challenge or, or something new. So get that over with. And then um, I would like to, so I have a lot of family in America, but I haven't been able to get down there often. I've only met my cousins and my grandparents like one or two times. So I'd like to move down there and uh, get some experience and then slowly try to experiment as much as possible. Um, I've I've already, had quite a lot of success in the consulting field. Just I find it fairly natural to get clients and and uh, and keep work coming. Um, but I'd like to expand on that, and eventually I'd like to uh, be able to sustain myself in that, and uh, and then kind of go from there. But um, but the goal is not really any of that noise. It's really just to try to have as big of impact on. Uh, on natural resources management, proper natural resource management as possible, because clearly with uh, everything that's going on, climate change, uh, urbanization, biodiversity loss, uh, there's a huge, huge demand for for my kind of work. And I'd like to position myself to be able to really uh, help out with uh, some of our big challenges.
1: So the consulting work that you're interested in doing is that you being your Uh, A self consultant is you doing work for yourself or working for someone else is there a company you're looking to work for one day or no
2: oh yeah like I've been just helping out a lot of different people Uh, so a couple examples is uh, I helped a small town uh, that actually near near town where my farm used to be I helped them set up a tree planting program so they didn't really understand how the funding model should work how the administrative should set up um, how how trees are actually planted, what kind of trees, all that kind of thing. So I helped them do that. Um, there's been a few couple politicians. Uh, one was down in Texas where uh, he was running for council and he wanted to have a, a green infrastructure uh, portion of his campaign. So I helped him create that and it just advised him. it helped him educate him on that. Um, also, well, you you helped me, which was awesome, um, and I think it says a lot about you being so willing to um, contribute to to projects, even when there's not a huge personal gain for you. Is that uh, I was helping uh, that community group in Washington D.C. advocate mm-hmm. for Community Park. So um, these are the kind of projects that I really enjoy being in, and uh, and then lots of speaking opportunities that I'll also also done as well so that's kind of an exact couple examples.
1: Cool cool. yeah that was really interesting what you were doing with them and I, I'm grateful that you you know helping advocate for them and do you know have you heard any follow-up as to what may have come of that or has it just fallen the, down the cracks or, or do you know?
2: No uh, so this is a big thing that I don't think I, I don't think they understood at first mm-hmm. um, but I saw her um, the community or like the advocate that I was working with Showtime I saw her take a picture in front of the lot and there's a sign there and it says uh, permanently designated as uh, open space permanent open space designation so it was a residential lot before so I don't know the backstory to that but um, that seems like a good start to what we're advocating for so I think it's still ongoing though
1: that's good. That's good. I know it's probably gone to a halt right now with this COVID-19 thing going on. Yeah. So nobody's thinking about that right now. Yeah, I think you're doing some really great work and um, thanks for speaking to me about it. So I know this is the topic of the year, COVID-19. So what are your thoughts, your takes, You, what are the environmental impacts that you see that's um, related to this virus and any other things that you want to mention Um, that planners should be on the alert about.
2: Yeah, I guess it's kind of interesting, you know, how everything stopped and you hear the stories about air pollution reducing and everything seems to be getting better as far as, you know, wildlife coming back. The problem with the environment is that when it gets better or medium, it's like, it's, it's fine, right? I mean, obviously for me, I want it to be the best it can possibly be. The problem with the environment though is it's something that people don't appreciate until it's gone Mm -hmm. um and it just shows you how ecology is so closely related to economy and we forget about that until water gets tainted or until air pollution shuts down the whole city Mm -hmm. for, for a few weeks so right now i'm more than happy that it's getting better and i think that um that it's a really good break, probably for, for Earth a little bit, but um, I have no, I don't really think that it's going to be um, something that uh, that changes the way we we operate um, once we get back to it. And then, um, but then the other environmental issue is that uh, there's a lot of misconceptions going around about how the virus started, and um, a lot of like racist kind of uh, innuendos going on. And the truth is that it has nothing to do with the meat that we're eating because the the perception of how one culture looks at the way Americans eat, they might be pretty gross. Even mm-hmm. like, for example, in Quebec, they eat horse, and that's normal to them, but it's weird for us in Ontario. You know, there's a lot of different perception. Um, the real issue is just uh, the handling of wildlife. So if you have a lot of different species – That are in poor health all close together crammed together and then humans are consuming that and they're called wet markets that's really where the problem lies so it's not about necessarily um, and we still don't know exactly where the virus comes from so there's a whole lot of uh, misconception and excuses to uh, stereotype people and and be negative Uh, but we just have to be really careful on what the truth is about about that issue
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah I, I agree um, it's a really touchy subject right now.
2: I have another really interesting uh, urban planning slash environmental planning issue that I've been kind of recently evolving on and, and, uh, and learning about. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind discussing it if, if you want.
1: Sure.
2: Yeah, so it's just this idea. Um, we do a lot of tree planting and creating parks. I just got finished doing a 20 year parkland strategy uh, for the City of Toronto uh mm-hmm. and you know we advocate for these types of spaces and these types of features and this new term came uh has come up that has a lot of like merit to it but it's also really complicated and it's called green infrastructure have you heard of this yet is that a thing yet no i haven't heard of
1: uh, that yet
2: so so the concept is that when we plant trees on properties a lot of the people who you know are on my side foresters or planners even, will say, oh, the reason that we want to plant trees is so that it'll raise property value, right? And really, just to make it clear, the reason trees are good is because they contribute to the quality of the environmental medium that we depend on for survival. Yes, correct.
1: It's not
2: necessarily related to getting any Ponzi scheme to get someone rich, (laughs) but it's true that they do raise property value because whenever you improve a property, it, it improves property value. So there's a, there's a real interesting conversation in places, low-income communities. Should we be going and planting trees if it's gonna potentially be that extra couple dollars on the rent that could displace people? And um, that's something that I kind of struggled with for a while. And um, it really has led me down the avenue to thinking that uh, it's really a value-based conversation that needs to happen uh, at the council or community level. Because if you think of something like the building code, right? So eventually we came to the point where, okay, buildings are allowed to be a certain level of you know, under your control, but they can't be so bad that they put people in danger, right? We need to have a minimum standard. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it is kind of an environmental code. Like what is the minimum um, quality that we're gonna allow people to live? Like how far are we allowing people to go in the name of affordability? So I think that's an interesting conversation because it's always this push and pull of saying, okay, like we don't wanna gentrify the area, but also like what, how, how are we going to let people live? And then that kind of ties into some research talking about how green space is generally, if you look at all the equity indicators, ranging from like low income to diabetes to high school dropout rates, all these indicators, they're generally all improved uh, when uh, people have access to parks and green spaces, unless these green spaces are not maintained. So they're just like, you know, full of, Crime and and they're not maintained and, and and had a lot of issues then it can actually contribute to uh, the, a negative impact on equity issues too so it's all this it's a you know very comprehensive look at, at everything and it all is playing together but I just thought that was a really interesting and important issue for other planners to understand and think about
1: yeah I think so um, I know for the city that I work for, Um, Pompano Beach, our urban forester there, he's having a lot of issues (laughs) with trying to save the trees and um, getting so much pushback because if somebody cuts down a tree, in essence, they should be replacing the tree based on the value. And, you know, if a tree is 20 years old and that tree has a lot more value than a brand new tree, so they'll have to put in like maybe four or five trees depending on the value. And it's like, a lot of times people can't afford it. Um, and then a lot of times there's also been the issue of people removing trees and not knowing the proper protocol. Um, and then they're doing something and realizing now they're like, you know, have these liens on their, on their property because they did such a thing. But yeah, I think it is a really big issue because um, I see it all the time. People not being able to afford to plant the trees in their yard once they've removed them. And it's just trying to, you know, keep our tree canopy here in the city of Pompano Beach. Now, we've been like tree USA for like the past 15 years or whatever, for a very long time. So we've been doing a good job, but it's still a big struggle, you know, dealing with stuff like that.
2: Yeah, it's a a huge challenge trying to manage fixed um, things that... Are uh, still not necessarily um, always have that economic value written on them as as much as other um, assets in the urban sphere. So uh, it's definitely a major challenge. We're lucky here in Canada because the culture in Canada is that people are so used to being regulated, and we're so liberal too that it just makes regulation. So we have a we have both our private and our public trees are regulated and everyone knows the game and it's fairly, it's supported too and that goes for almost, I would say anywhere in Canada. Um, it's a ch- more challenging in places, especially in the States, no offense, but um, you, know, you guys aren't always as regulated in some areas and it just makes it a little more challenging. Um, but in mm-hmm. a lot of their cities you have been at the forefront too of, of urban forestry and environmental planning too.
1: Yeah, well I know predominantly here in South Florida, um, I haven't been across the United States that that much. But where the place that I have been, um, we are pretty devoid of trees, tree canopy in South Florida. Um, we're extremely urbanized and we don't have like pockets of forests, you know, around. So like me going to DC is like forest and i'm just talking about like south florida specifically because when i go to central florida it's not like that it is a lot more witty and foresty up there so um i think that's probably why there's like a bigger issue for you know our urban forestry divisions down here because we already don't have that many trees so in comparison to other places because they're so urbanized and everything's being built out they're building so many new developments, everywhere we turn. Housing is extremely high because we get all these people moving down here all the time. And it's extremely urbanized down here. So I think that is also posing an issue um, for South Florida specifically because when I go to other areas um, across the United States, it's not like it is down here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's very striking to think about when it comes to that.
2: Yeah, it's a, definitely a challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I even had, I was even telling my husband yesterday, I'm like, oh, our tree is dying in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we had an issue a few weeks ago um, and I should have looked into it further, but we had a tree overhanging over our roof. And um, so we were, if we had some raccoons or something, you know, running on the roof. So I'd be like, okay, it needs to be cut back. And in the back of my mind, like I know there's a right way to, you know, prune a tree. And the guy came, he came when we weren't even home. He came, he did it. And then I looked at him like, this does not look right. And honestly, if I wasn't working as a planner, working alongside um, landscape inspectors and urban forester, I wouldn't even know, you know, there was a wrong way to do it. A lot of people, you know, just have no idea. I saw like uh, somebody in my neighborhood, they cut down their tree. I was like, did they cut down the tree because it died or they just cut it down because they didn't want it? <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> so, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, I think there needs to be more education put out there um, to the lay person about the importance of trees and the proper way to re- get rid of trees and what they should do when they do, they should be replacing the tree or, um, you know, planting it somewhere else or whatever the case may be. I think there needs to be a lot of more education out there.
2: I have for empathy for that too, because I mean, like, uh, it's true. Like it would be nice for everyone to know, to know that, but just how I was talking about being literate in certain subjects, you know, there's people that are bankers and I mean, I have no idea about mm. money. And mm-hmm. there's people that are firefighters and I don't know anything about that. And you know, it's everyone has their thing. Yeah. And uh so I try to have empathy for them not understanding anything about our fields, but at the same time it's trying to uh trying to help people lean on on experts and give them the resources to, to do so too.
1: Yeah, I totally agree because if I wasn't a planner, I wouldn't even know half the things I would need to get a permit for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, oh, I need a permit for that. Oh, I would have just done it if it was me. Um, So, yeah, I do have empathy with people a lot because a lot of times things are done without permits, without the proper protocol. And then I think about, you know, if I wasn't working here, I would not have known myself. So um, I try to have empathy with them, but then at the same time, I still have to tell them what our code says. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of i don't know disheartening but yeah more education needs to be done just across the spectrum in all fields for sure yeah so um i guess we can wrap up um is there anything else that you'd like to share with my audience or any advice you would like to give to those that are listening
2: no i think that's it i uh just want to say thank you like i'm a big fan of just uh, like all you do and uh it's nice like having an internal resource because, you know, it's kind of like we're all fighting our own battles and it's kind of, I feel like you're someone that brings us all together and kind of has uh, just uh, uni- unifies the industry a little bit, especially like specifically our age group. That's like, mm-hmm. I feel like kind of just starting out testing the industry, which is also like the most challenging part of our career as well. Cause we're in the midst of just like, uh, trying a lot of stuff, failing a lot, a mm-hmm. lot, and it's <laughs> nice to just uh, have you know no other people are trying it, and uh, then also being able to because uh, you know you have a very unique background and you're also very uh, meticulous. Like I know your whole story, and uh, like it's nice to have someone that has that sort of stability and experience to uh, to learn from too, and have kind of a direct. I know I have like a a bat line if I ever need uh some advice and stuff so just appreciate you know your work too so keep it up
1: thank you so much thank you so much yeah I i you know I when I first started this I didn't know where it was going to take I didn't know it was going to I guess you know get jump started as quickly as it did I mean I was just thinking of the day, I'm like, I guess I'm an influencer in the planning world I don't know maybe so <laughs> um I went to a conference in September of 2018 and this is like right after I started my whole Gigi the Planner Instagram page and it was um conference in DC for black architects and planners and this was like I said maybe about two months after I started my platform and so Mm -hmm. many people said oh I follow you on Instagram I was like oh (laughs) so I was I was surprised but yeah I mean you know the goal is just to like I have under my title on Instagram I'm an urban planning career promoter so what I'm trying to do is basically promote the field of urban planning um, within the field and outside of the field however that may be um, so it's multifaceted the work that I'm doing so please provide your social media platforms for people to follow you connect with you um, and gain any other information
2: yeah it's just at jungle underscore capital for Instagram and Twitter, uh, John Lieber Ecology Planning on Facebook, uh, Jungle Capital Podcast, and uh, yeah, that's about it.
1: Awesome. So where can they find your podcast? Is that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify? Where is yeah, I think can you find can find type it
2: anywhere. Just type in uh, Jungle Capital.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so thanks so much for um, interviewing with me. Um, I'm sure that you probably will be on my podcast some other time in the future, um, maybe with additional guests, if you, you know, are willing to do so.
2: Of course. Yeah. Thanks so much. Gigi was a real honor. Thank you. So
1: have a good night and we'll talk later. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to be interviewed in a future episode, Please head over to my website at ggtheplanter.com and select the interview tab and you can request to be interviewed by me in a future episode. That's all for today, folks. Ciao.
0: Thanks for listening to the Urban Planners Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over and leave a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss out on an episode. If you would like to buy personalized urban planning gear and other products or are in need of some urban planning career coaching, please head over to ggtheplanner.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at GGThePlanner. Have a great week and we'll see you. Next episode.